0: You are listening to this week in Marvel episode number four hundred and five. I'm Ryan, aka Agent M, H&M.
1: and I'm Lorraine Sink, human woman and Martian.
0: Yep. Uh, for a second, you were scratching your ear area, and yeah. I thought you were like doing one of those things where, like, your old you're timey bro- radio. Yeah, old timey radio, t- touching my ear. Uh, This is This Week in Marvel. We're going to talk about all kinds of stuff that's happening across all aspects of Marvel, from comics to games, movies, television, and so much more. First things first, I am going to the X-Games! Where
1: all the X-Men play games, like baseball and volleyball, and they snuggle.
0: They wear all their little short shorts. I love all the baseball. Oh my god. Man, they're just in their, like, tiniest little clothings. Uh, yeah, so the X Games will be in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I'm going to be there. If you are going, let us know. We'll be shooting some videos, looking for some great Marvel fans. I will try to remember to bring some Twim swag with me to, to hand along. And uh, yeah, so definitely tweet me at Agent M if you are going to be there.
1: Um, you know what I'm excited about this week, though? Plus. Uh Marvel Studios' Avengers Endgame is out this week on digital in HD, 4K Ultra HD, and it's also on Movies Anywhere. I'm super excited because of all of the awesome bonus features that are going to be on it. I think that's my favorite thing about getting a movie on home release. And this one's going to include a tribute to Stan Lee, the tale of Robert Downey Jr.'s casting as Iron Man, which I've heard that story And it's great.
0: So I watched a bunch of these Mm -hmm. um, the night before we were recording this. So, like, the casting of Iron Man has his screen test footage, some of it spliced in there. It's really, really fun to watch.
1: Yeah. I watched the gag reel, which is stinking hilarious. And they also have the evolution of Captain America, Black Widow's dramatic story arc. They have more stuff with Anthony and Joe Russo, the director, and creators of that film. So go check it out, go get it on HD. Let's talk about it. It makes me feel all the feels.
0: All the feels. Our episode this week, we're going to have an interview with Dan Delu who is VFX supervisor for Marvel Studios Avengers Endgame, and I'm very excited. He's a great guy.
1: Yeah, um we already released a piece where you talk to him about The Hulk for Earth's Mightiest Show, which is so cool really go over and check out the visuals on that cuz it's awesome. I also love Mark Ruffalo. You get to see some of the BTS footage of him like with all of the cameras on his face and wearing like a black suit covered in dots. It's mm. just really funny and interesting and there are going to be more of those rolling out in Earth's Mightiest Show. I got to see the one we break down the battle oh, from yeah. Endgame and it's not going to be out for a little bit, but you guys, I can't wait for you to see it cuz it's Bucket nuts.
0: Yeah, it is really cool. And it, I, I like that this is stuff that is separate from what is on the, the Blu-ray or oh, yeah. on the special features that you get digitally. So it's more bonus footage for you guys that uh, only we can provide you. Yeah. And because I really wanted to talk about Death's Head. Oh, boy. And we have a new comic out this week by Teeny Howard and Kaizama called Death's Head. We're going to do a little a little big talk about Death's Head later Ooh. this episode. Um, yeah, it was fun. I did about half of it from memory and then like did a bunch of extra research, uh, which made me really happy. I What's your Death
1: favorite head. thing about Death's head?
0: I think it's the multi-dimensional aspect of the character like the fact that Death's head can transverse universes and dimensions like he's hung out with Doctor Who and like fought Doctor Who he's had bounty hunt he was a bounty hunter going after transformers and he also like goes and hangs out with you know Fantastic Four or the X-Men or whatever
1: I think it's because you like weirdos but that's why I like you also
0: true <laughs> but what do we have next
1: we have things we're hyped about this week including
0: news you forgot the comma Lorraine uh,
1: the comma is silent so is the coma if you spell it wrong
0: all right. We got to keep moving. The first thing that we're hyped about this week, in a sense, is that the final episode of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. filmed this week. And, you know, I I saw Christine Din, who she used to be on the show and she's doing great work for our um, West Coast group. Um,
1: For Marvel.com, we should say not right. on actual agents of sure right, right, right.
0: But she's she's on she's been on set a lot and done mm-hmm. a lot of work Very with the true. SHIELD team. And I she posted a really great thing on her Instagram uh, I read this morning, just like talking about her memories and saw a lot of photos that she posted. That's Chrysopedia across all her social pages. She's wonderful. But that got me thinking, like, oh, we should talk about like our memories. What do you what do you have?
1: Uh, So Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was the first junket-style interview I ever got to do. We went over to a hotel in New York. I remember that very distinctly. I was a little tiny baby at this point who had done... Very, very few interviews at this point, because at the time I was a talking head kind of gal. One of my first interviews, I also got to give Elizabeth Henstridge one of her first interviews of all time. I think she said it was the first time she'd ever done an interview.
0: And I remember because I was there for all that. Yeah. And I was talking to Elizabeth and she's like, oh, my sister follows you and like she loves you. And it was like it was just such a, so weird and sweet. And that was a fun moment, like fun day.
1: Oh, yeah. And I mean, there have been so many times because you and I have been to set and we've we've had them around for so many years now And because it was the first Marvel television show, I feel like they're our family, too. You know, Mm. I see Clark Gregg and he's like, hey, Lorraine, what's going on? Like, what are we doing today? And it's nice. What about for you?
0: Yeah. You know, you think about it. We were just in San Diego and we were leaving one party. And the entire (laughs) cast and crew is walking in as we're leaving. And Clark's like, hey, gives us a hug. We see Elizabeth. We see Chloe and all them. And then like we were just like ships passing in the night. But it was so sweet. It's just like seeing friends. And they're like, see you guys.
1: You know what else it just reminded me of? One of my first interviews I did with Marissa Tancheroen and Jed Whedon, and I think we've talked about this before, was that – I sat down with them and I was like, tell me about the characters and who are they? And they were talking about Fitzsimmons and they were like, oh, they're the most like us. Like Fitz and Simmons is us. And it's been really sweet also to see Jed and Marissa, because they're actually a married couple, to see their relationship progress over the years. Yep. Uh, and now they have a, a child. And now we know that Fitz and Simmons at some point have a child uh, because of Deke and that connection and and they got married and it's really fun to see Fitz and Simmons kind of also follow their storyline so that's just like a fun bit of the behind the scenes but all of the cast have been posting pictures and memories so it's really awesome go go get on that gram
0: yeah Uh, We got some cool news, though, coming up on the TV realm.
1: Yeah, Marvel's Runaways uh, has finally released when its third season is hitting. It's coming out December 13th with all 10 episodes dropping at the same time. But also, this is really cool. Nico Minoru is drawing everyone into the Dark Realm where its ruler, Morgan Lefay is going to be played by Elizabeth Hurley. And uh, she's going to, you know... Be a problem?
0: Yes, we're gonna say one of the coolest Marvel characters. She's and like awesome,
1: a purveyor of the deep V,
0: deepest V. Not a
1: lot of ladies get to rock the deep V these days, but she's still she's still bringing it.
0: Yes, <laughs> very much so. Uh, you guys can catch up on seasons one and two of Marvel's Runaways exclusively on Hulu right now.
1: But wait, Ryan, there's more.
0: That's right, Lorraine. Crossover episode confirmed. Marvel's Runaways, and Marvel's Cloak and Dagger this December. Psh, 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 the heroes' Cloak and Dagger will find themselves crossing paths with our Runaways during its Season 3 release. And you asked, we answered, this is the crossover fans have been begging for since the beginning and has finally been confirmed. Now, we will see that they collide this year in a crossover episode, and we have a quote from Mr. Jeff Loeb, executive producer and head of Marvel Television. He says, quote, It's so fun being able to do something that revels in the mighty Marvel manner. Having these young heroes crossover allows fans of both shows to see the adventure everyone has been waiting for and we've only hinted at. So uh, how will Cloak and Dagger cross paths with the Runaways? It's yet to be revealed. Expect more details as we near the season three premiere of Marvel's Runaways, only on Hulu. All right, so that's a lot of good Stife. Stife?
1: Ah, yes, a Stife infection. (laughs) (laughs) I've got a Stife infection. It's a Scottish Stife.
0: Uh, so we have so much fun stuff that we're hyped about. But uh, I know we have uh, lapsed on our TWIM URCs, the Unlimited Reading Club, for a little bit. So our 2000s episode is coming up this month with CB Sobolski And myself we will be discussing either the Ultimate Comics line, some of the key issues in there, or some key Marvel stuff from the aughts. I threw a bunch of suggestions to CB Um If
1: anybody wants to do a TWIM URC with me via Twitter on just the Runaways Comics... Get at me, because I'm available for that any day of the week.
0: (laughs) Fair. Um, But that stuff, we're going to be looking back on the 2000s. We have to look back now at 80 years. This week in Marvel history, we're looking at the week of August 2nd through August 8th.
1: All right, let's kick it off with August second, nineteen sixty-two. Loki makes himself magnificent, mischievous uh, in his first appearance in Journey into Mystery number eighty-five. Just two issues into that run, we find Loki trapped within a tree as punishment from the Asgardians because that's where you go. That's your timeout. Is a yeah. tree.
0: It's like just stuck in there.
1: Yeah. Yeah, obviously. Um, He makes a leaf drop while Heimdall is walking by said tree, causing Heimdall to shed a tear, freeing Loki naturally because magic. And then Loki, you know, he causes mischief. That's what he does. And the issue can be credited with the first appearance of Heimdall, Odin, Balder, and Asgard, though they don't get any major spotlights just yet.
0: Yeah, there's literally a panel of the backs of their heads. Like, oh, look, it's Balder and Odin. And like... Cool.
1: I also want to credit the Norse people (laughs) with the creation of um, all these characters.
0: Nah. No? Okay. Screw them. All right. Great. Uh, All right. August 8th, 1963. It's a big day in the Marvel Universe. A lot to talk about here. So Amazing Spider-Man number six by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko introduces the lizard, a.k.a. Kurt Connors and his family. Cold-blooded. Yeah. (laughs) In, uh, let's see, we've got Molecule Man, one of the most powerful and bullied... Characters in the Marvel Universe debuts in Fantastic Four, number 20, by Stanley and Jack Kirby. And actually, he is an important point of the current Future Foundation book that is just launching. He has been exploded in his molecules all around the multiverse. He so. went to pieces. Yeah. Okay. Over in Tales of Suspense, number 47, Stanley and Steve Ditko introduce Iron Man's newest foe, the mysterious Melter.
1: Oh, no. The Melter and Iron Man. They're going to be obvious foes because... <laughs> Iron
0: melts. (laughs) I love the cover, too. Iron Man's arm, like, Melter just, like, melts away part of Iron Man's arm. Like, the armor, but his arm is fine.
1: It doesn't melt flesh, but it does melt iron.
0: Yeah. That's a good power.
1: All right, August 4th, 1964, the Purple Man, aka Zebediah Kilgrave, one of the most sinister and nasty and disturbing and gross and jerk face villains in Marvel history, makes his first appearance in Daredevil number four. And then longtime Hulk foe and supporting character Glenn Talbot and his sassy mustachio debuts in Tales to Astonish number 61.
0: He does have a real good stash.
1: I know. I was just, when I first saw the notes, I was like, how, how are we not talking stash all day? This is
0: why you're here. We bring the thunder. Uh, August 8th, 1968. Behold the Vision. He's one of the longest tenured and most important members of the Avengers. The Synthesoid Vision. He makes his first appearance in here in Avengers number 57 by Roy Thomas and John Busema. He's created by Ultron and sent to kill the Avengers in this issue. But then he turns on his maker and he helps uh, defeat the malevolent droid. It's a beautiful issue. One of the most iconic Marvel covers as well.
1: Um, And also, fun fact, the next issue is called Even an Android Can Cry. It is one of my favorite things of all time because it's just vision being like, how do I have all these feelings, which is relatable. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, August 5th, 1969. Nice. Thor number 169. Nice. By Stan Lee and Jack Kirby features the first origin of Galactus along with the first appearance of Big G's home of and his true original name, Galen. It's also a magnificently beautiful issue with Kirby's art at the height of its power.
0: This is such a gorgeous issue. I highly suggest anyone check it out. It's all Marvel Unlimited. It's really, really good.
1: There you have it. And then Stingray also made his first splash in the pages of Submariner number 19. Walter Newell debuted a few years prior, but this is his superhero debut. And fun fact, Stingray's brother-in-law is the aquatic villain Tiger Shark. And also another fun fact, I use them interchangeably in my mind. (laughs) I'm like those water guys.
0: (laughs) So Tiger Shark has a tiger face or yeah. like a tiger shark face yeah stingray has a great costume it's white and red and he's got like an arrow pointing down his his torso for some reason like hey look here everybody and uh i think got... it's
1: supposed to imitate a stingray tail but
0: sure uh and he's got the the great like the almost wings to look like a stingray it's a really great costume
1: I still use them interchangeably. In my Fine.
0: Mind. Uh, August 4th, 1981, Avengers Annual number no. 10 by Chris Claremont and Michael Golden is released. It is a hugely important and influential issue because it not only features the first appearance of Rogue, but is also a major turning point for Carol Danvers. And while it's not shown in the issue, the story picks up shortly after Rogue has used her powers to absorb carol's powers her abilities her memories her almost her entire identity there's a point where carol is a blank slate they say yeah and it nearly destroys carol who is only saved thanks to her friend spider woman and the x-men she's actually physically saved by jessica drew who is in san francisco and sees a woman falling off a bridge Mm -hmm. and she grabs carol before she hits the water it is horrible
1: yeah it's also sort of the beginning of their relationship, Mm -hmm. which they continue to be besties today. Yeah. So that has really carried through in the comics. It also like, it's so sad because it's terrible for both Rogue and Carol. Like, it's not like Rogue did it and was like, yay! She's like, I don't want all this stuff. I'm carrying this, all these women's feelings and thoughts and memories and it's Really messed up. But Rogue's still a kid at that point. Like yeah. very
0: young. She's probably like late teens, early 20s. She's being told what to do by Mystique and Destiny who are her like surrogate parents. But at the same time, they're they're nef- they're like they're not the best.
1: They're not the best, but I love them. Oh my God. Mystique and them. Destiny, OTP.
0: Have you read House of X number two? I haven't read it yet. The Destiny scene in there. So good. It's so good. I I actually walked into the X Men office. Was like, I need a Destiny book right now. we we'll leave it at that. I uh, damn it. Yeah, um, I have to leave.
1: <laughs> August second, nineteen eighty three. Quick update slash correction. We originally noted that. Uh, July 12th, 1983, was the date that Beta Ray Bill debuted in Thor number 337. The first issue was written by Walter Simonson, but that was the shipping date. It actually hit stands on August 2nd. Again, this is the beginning of one of the greatest runs in comic book history. Go read it. Beta Ray Bill is a dang gem. Yeah. He deserves to have his own Mjolnir.
0: Yes. He's he's a uh, he's great. He's awesome. Uh, August sixth, nineteen eighty five. Rachel Summers becomes Phoenix in Uncanny X Men number one ninety nine by Chris Claremont and John Romita Jr. Great issue. It is awesome. Uh, Rachel goes through some stuff.
1: That's another lady with a tiger face. Well, person.
0: <laughs> She's got the, the horrible tattoos on her face. Yes.
1: <laughs> August third. <laughs> they,
0: they're put there by slavers. It's it's a really upsetting story. Well,
1: I was gonna say any facial t- tattoo is like hard to commit to, but. And one that you haven't chosen for yourself is different. (laughs) Yeah,
0: like the M looks really cool, but that is put on there by people who brand mutants in the future as mutants, and that's why like the Bishop M tattoo is an upsetting thing.
1: Should we shaven M into your eyebrow we gotta go keep this train <laughs> rolling right. what's next all right August 3rd 1993 Marvel's son Geniceve debuts as Legacy in Silver Surfer annual number no. six which he starts out as this ponytail newfangled 90s version of Captain Marvel the first one. And then Janice evolves into a really interesting character struggling with identity uh, several times, uh, humanity, relationships, power, and legacy. Um, I I say identity because he stole Monica Rambeau's name twice. She was like, I'm Captain Marvel. He's like, no, that was my dad's name. That should be my name. So he took it. And then she's like, "Okay." And then she was like, I'll be Photon. And then he came down. He's like, wait, I've been rolling as Photon because I decided I didn't want to be Captain Marvel anymore. And she was like, oh, my God, get an original thought, jerk. But she was like, fine. Yeah. She's so nice about it. I
0: know. She had. She did not need to be.
1: No, she did not need to be. All right. August 7th, 1996. Ryan, say it. Onslaught! Yep, there it is. Uh, Thor, Captain America, Iron Man, the Fantastic Four, and the Avengers sacrifice themselves to stop Onslaught. <laughs> uh, in Onslaught, Marvel Universe by Mark Wade and Adam Kubert, uh, they'd re-emerge the next month in Heroes Reborn titles. Um, because heroes can't die not really yeah sometimes like when the x-men just disappeared and then ended up in australia yeah. i just like love it
0: siege perilous baby uh all right august 7 2015 the fantastic four movie opens in theaters uh that rounds up our this week in marvel history for the week we do have to talk about the top books from this week's episode of marvel's the pull List.
1: yeah black panther number 14 conan the barbarian number eight Powers of 10, which is actually an X, number one, and Death's Head, number one, because Ryan.
0: It's a great book, too. Awesome. Um, subscribe to Marvel's The Pulse wherever you get your podcasts and watch video versions on marvel.com. Uh, real quick, I wanted, because Death's Head, number one, is so good, I wanted to do a little bit of a big talk about it because uh, the series is great. It launched this week by Teenie Howard and Kaizama. Terrific, terrific stuff. Um, but Death's Head is kind of an obscure character, yes. Uh, I say that that way because that's how he talks. He puts a like a a, a yes question mark yes? at the end of many sentences. It's just a little tick of his. So who is Death's Head? He's a robot bounty hunter, quote unquote, freelance peacekeeping agent, as he calls himself.
1: Um, He's just programmed to say yes. I think that's a
0: yes. Yes. He was created by Simon Furman and Jeff Sr., first appearing in Marvel's UK comics in 1987. So really wasn't in U.S. comics right away.
1: Yeah, uh, the story goes that his first major story appearance was in Transformers number 113 from Marvel UK, but his first actual comics appearance was in a one-page story by Furman and Brian Hitch that appeared in a number of books beforehand.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty cool. He's got this weird history. So fun fact about him, and uh, I mentioned this earlier, he's a Marvel Universe character, but he's shown up in Transformers comics, in Doctor Who comics, uh, and he time travels. So he can travel dimensions end time, he's fought Superior Spider-Man, the Fantastic Four, She-Hulk, and many, many more. Uh, he's been a giant robot and a regular human-sized robot. It's sort of like, however you want to draw him, whatever the story needs, he can be.
1: Um, there have been Death's Head 2 and 3.0 versions, but the original is still the most beloved.
0: He, he, truly. But for me, Death's Head 2 was my first introduction to the characters. It was a reboot of the widely released Marvel UK line in the early 1990s. But as I've grown older and read more Death's Head stories, I find that uh, I love the original Death's Head stuff much more as an adult. I just want to read it all.
1: Yeah. Um, original Death's Head appeared in the current Marvel Universe comics in 2009 through 2010 SWORD series by noted British bad boy Kieran Gillen. <laughs> Not to be confused with Nebula, Karen Gillen. Correct. And artist Stephen Sanders. He'd then show up in the 2013 Iron Man story, The Secret Origin of Tony Stark, by Karen Gillan and Greg Land.
0: Yeah, and in 20- with Arno. what with Arno? Yes, uh, in 2014, we had a crossover series called Revolutionary War, featuring Marvel UK characters. Um, and so, the Deathhead issue of the series, they had like a bunch of one shots. Uh, there was one that was like Revolutionary War, Deathhead two, and the Deathhead issue has both one and two versions of Deathhead fighting with each other and then getting captured and they just become a whole part of this larger Revolutionary War story.
1: Oh, and you can read the more recent issues on Marvel Unlimited, but there's not a ton of the old UK stuff collected in recent times or available digitally. But we do have Death's Head number 10 on Marvel Unlimited, which has Death's Head versus Iron Man 2020 by Furman and Hitch. And it's really cool, plus a wild backup story with Death's Head OG and 2.
0: Yes. Uh, that that story is awesome. Deathhead Head number 10 uh, with Arno Stark, Iron Man 2020 and Death's Head fighting it is really, really neat. But again, we have a new Death's Head series and it is great. Uh, I grabbed a couple quotes about what Teeny had to say about Death's Head. She says, quote, So I was drawn to Death's Head as a character that looks super powerful and tough, but is big, clunky, breaks easily. And his whole job is apprehending people for money. And if people with better tech surpass you in that, you end up kind of broke. Yes. All, also, he's a great big boy with weapons. He has a Swiss Army knife for an arm that takes different attachments. Who wouldn't love that guy? If the like the most the attachment everybody loves to see is the like the ma- spiked mace, yeah. uh, which is great.
1: Um, I also absolutely adore Teenie Howard. She's. Yeah. Awesome. Also, Wicked and Hulkling are in the book, um, which is important to me.
0: To so many people.
1: Oh my God. Yes. And Teenie says, it's really fun to put Wiccan and Death's head together. They're so different. Their powers occasionally cause problems for one another. They're such an odd couple, but they're really after the same thing, understanding their place in the world that makes them feel obsolete. Wizards and robots, robots and wizards, and their shape-shifting boyfriends. Oh, we've got everything. Yeah.
0: Oh. So good. So good. So Death's head, kind of dark funny, quirky. He's out for himself, out for the cash, has an amazing character design, can fit into all kinds of stories, and uh, all of you should love him.
1: Yeah, there you go. Duh. Yeah. We also wanted to give a shout out to a podcast. Uh, I think this is kind of like the twim of ESPN. It's ESPN's The Woj Pod. Uh, You can get an inside scoop on all of the biggest NBA news with the biggest names in the game.
0: Uh, You join ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski for the Woj Pod featuring in-depth conversations, breaking news, reactions, analysis, and just basically all the coverage they can handle of everything going on in the NBA, as well as, you know, deep dives, similar to what we were doing just now uh, with some of the most notable events in NBA history. The Woj Pod is the must-listen to for NBA fans. Get it wherever you get your podcasts. All right, our interview this week is with Dan DeLue, visual effects supervisor of Marvel Studios Avengers Endgame. Dan is amazing. He's done so much cool stuff. He actually joined Marvel Studios way back for Marvel Studios Iron Man 3, and then he went on to be the visual effects supervisor for Marvel Studios Captain America The Winter Soldier, Marvel Studios Captain America Civil War, and Marvel Studios Avengers Infinity War. He's done so much cool stuff. The dude has been working so hard. We talked a lot about his career and working at Marvel and and his love for all things Marvel um, and you know of course we get into what a visual effects supervisor actually does his favorite kinds of scenes to work on and so much more and again this is a reminder I think we talked about it recently but there's also some footage of the interview on Earth's Mightiest Show you can check that out wherever you you know watch your Marvel videos would be it YouTube or Facebook or Twitter whatnot but enjoy this chat with Dan DeLew. I'm so excited to be sitting here with Dan DeLuca, VFX supervisor of Marvel Studios' *Avengers: Endgame*. Dan, you ready for this? I'm, I'm going to grill you real hard. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> first things first. What is your Marvel origin story? How did you first get connected to the Marvel characters? Whether it was comics or animation or like a bedsheet. I, I, I love hearing people's stories. It's, well. This is this will be sacrilege, actually. Uh-oh.
2: Yes. So, as a kid, loved comics. Okay. read a lot of comics. Uh huh. But we didn't have a lot of toys for comics.
0: Okay.
2: So I'd read them, and then I would take the characters and then cut them out of the comics. Oh. So that I have, like, I could actually play with the characters together. I
0: thought you were going to start talking about a different <laughs> company. And no, then I was no, going to no. tell you no, to no. get out of the building no, no. you work in.
2: No, the Marvel company. They always had there's this. They would have like an ad, and like all the characters were li- lined up around the ad, and you go in. So. You know, they go back and I look at my comic book collection now. Years later, it's just a Swiss cheese of comics. <laughs> like, I like, it was the first time I got to play with the characters. Sure. And now I get to play with them, like you know, in real life. It's a. Am-
0: right. it, that probably <laughs> influenced a lot of like the you know how you visualize characters too, and the work yeah. that you do as VFX supervisor. Mm-hmm. I'm sure.
2: Well, it's to- it's kind of the same thing. It was interesting because it was always you know you took the characters there and you, you played with them. And then like any of the kind of the battles we do here, you. You know, we get like the little hero clicks, you know scopes of those so I'd like you know for Civil War I got enough of them I laid them on a the table. okay, here's the plan and then for Infinity War I got more of them to lay on the table and then for Endgame, I got like it took up the entire cable <laughs> just kind of figuring out who's in the battle and what the different bat- you know the different enemies and, and heroes look like together.
0: I have a Fin Fang Foom hero click sitting next to my TV at home. Nice. He's, he's just one of my favorites. nice. So you joined the MCU with Marvel Studios Iron Man 3. That was your first yes. film with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was your path to the Marvel Universe before that?
2: Well, it's something you, you know, visual effects wise, you're always you kind of grow up and you grow up with the comics. You grow up you know, for me, it was Star Wars and Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, it's like the kind of the genre of films that you love and that are special to you. And it's it's something that you always hope someday you're going to be a movie that's special in the same way that it was to you. You know, to other people that see the film. So it was something that. As a kid, on the over the summer, you know, I would build different models, miniatures, and then blow them up on the 4th of July. And so, <laughs> mostly firecrackers and things like that. And would not recommend. Don't do that at home. Kids, be safe. You'd be safe. Uh, we weren't. and We were stupid. Uh, but it was something. But it kind of, same thing. You're kind of learning in, you know, kind of, when I say miniatures, they were, you know, they're, they blew up nicely. But the, uh, but kind of, you know, always wanted to do that. And computer graphics came around. And so, it was something that, you know, okay, I want to kind of learn more about those. And then, you know, got a job in, in visual effects, you know, kind of just, you know, kind of the second person that they hired at this company named DreamQuest to do digital and then kind of grew from there. We went through animation, compositing, and just kind of worked my way up. And then we worked on a lot of Bruckheimer movies back in the day, you know, a lot of the action films, cool. and then started doing more character animation. So i worked on a bunch of, you know, talking animal shows and, like, you know, kind of kid talking animal shows. Helpful and, with
0: all the work you've done with Rocket.
2: Exactly, with the, with the character animation. So it's like, you know, it's this strange... Strange background that somehow just kind of had all the different pieces, mm-hmm. that when I you know, got to work on Iron Man 2 um, with, with Chris Townsend and his team, uh, it was something that was great, we did second unit, and then I, I flew out to, um, as we were finishing that, you know, I met with Victoria Alonzo, and she's, she's you know, okay, you know, what do you wanna do next? And it's like, well, I wanna stay here, because this is the best thing ever. <laughs> and she's like, well, we got two films coming up, we have Guardians of the Galaxy, and then there's Captain America Winter Soldier. And then I'm kinda of like, well, you know, I've done a lot of talking animal stuff. And she's like, no, you should do Captain America. I'm like, okay. And so I flew out one night, interviewed with the Russos, and then they called me a couple hours later and said I had the show and came back, finished up Iron Man 3. And then from there it was, you know, it's what was Winter Soldier, Civil War, Infinity War, and Endgame after that. Pretty good. Pretty great. Yeah. Pretty great. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so we've had a lot of we have a ton of people on the show, a lot of comic creators or actors, or various disciplines. But what exactly does a VFX supervisor do? Like, what is your role on a, a production like Endgame, which is really two movies back to back in one? What was it? Three year period?
2: Yeah, over three years, we worked on the two films. Uh, well, it, it, the simplest description is it's just you know, you're you're in charge of making what's you see on, ca- on set or on camera that you can't actually make. You know, so you're you know, it, sim- you know you're doing rocket, you're doing any of the characters, you're doing any of the kind of the big environments but basically you you get the script you work with the directors to kind of understand what they want creatively and then from there you you kind of break down the script with your team and and kind of figure out what you know what will actually be needed to accomplish a shot not just in post with cg but then also when you're actually photographing it so it's like you know okay, so what do we what do we need to build and so kind of the our general rule is that if you walk on it you touch it then you're building it, and if you don't, then we'll do it. <laughs> and, and so you kind of you, you kind of guide that process and figure out the scope of the show, and then you're there on set during photography. And you know, with these films, it was a little different because you're working making them together. So it was had a, a great team on set helping you supervise the shots, but then also working in post. You know, and you're there on set when you can't you can't see something. You know, part of your job is to be able to imagine it. Now with kind of simulcam and things like that, you can see the Hulk and Thanos on set, which makes it a lot easier wow. for everybody else to see. And then you guide the show through post and getting all the shots done and kind of figuring out balancing all the different effects houses.
0: Speaking of the effects houses, how many companies are you you working with, well, especially on a production like Marvel Studios' Avengers Endgame, which is a massive film? It's got to be a dozen or more effects houses, right?
2: Yeah, we had 14 effects houses. That it's you know we always said there was like the sun never sets on Endgame. People were gonna engage. So we had Weta. Down in New Zealand, and then we had you know teams throughout Europe and Germany and in the UK, and then kind of back and some some folks out in New York and then people in California. and We had the small little team out in Maui, so you could pretty much you know circumnavigate to the globe in terms of you know the number of people that worked on it.
0: The, the, do they? Each have like different disciplines, or characters, or shots, or like how do you sort of look at dividing this?
2: Well, you look at you basically you look at casting, right? So the casting is a great way to describe you, just like you would cast an actor. You're going to cast a visual effects house to what their strengths are. So you've got, you know, Weta and ILM and Digital Domain were kind of the, the the big houses we had on this one. And on Endgame, in terms of kind of the final battle, you've got Weta and all the work they had done on Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, and they worked with us with Thanos on Infinity War. So if you need Character animation, giant battles, they're the guys you go to. And then uh with ILM, you're the same thing. It's casting. So they got great character animation, they've got great destruction, great water. So they did the Thanos the ship blowing up, all the water work with Doctor Strange holding the, the river back. And so you're just kinda looking for those different talents yeah. in terms of what you could do in terms of casting them for the for the show.
0: That's cool. What's your favorite part of this gig?
2: Oh, effects and supervising yeah. in general. Well it's it's interesting. It's it's a when you work on a show, its, it's effects are about not as real-time as you can get. You know, you, when you photograph, you know, you kind of see it and you get it and kind of edit it from there. So you've got this, this, this process where it, it is, you know, extends over a year and a half, three years. And so you've got all the different decisions you make three years ago are going to affect you <laughs> in the last two months of getting the show done. But, but the best part of that is you've got, you know, you get the different shots as they progress. There's always this moment, this magic moment. Where it goes from this thing that is kind of in its, in its different pieces and different components, and it just comes alive, and that's the day where you just you know the you know you see Thanos for the first time, you see Smart Hulk for the first time, you see you know the first pass at blowing up the eight ship, and it's just this magical shot that you just you know you you get through dailies, and then you go back to your desk and you just play the shot on a loop the rest of the day, <laughs> just watching it you know, as it comes alive.
0: That's cool. How do you, How does your team work with someone like uh, Russell Bobbitt and the the props team because mm-hmm. he's making practical versions, but there's also, of course, the the CGI VFX versions of so many of those elements.
2: Mm-hmm. It's interesting. It's it's a you know partly you know it's you know, the Rooster Brothers. You know they always say the saying like the best idea wins, and then Marvel has kind of developed this team, nurtured this team that we've all been together, and so even though like with the effects teams, we'll, have, we'll cycle out for a little bit, but you always have Russell Bobbitt, you always have Dan Sudick, there's always these you know, different department heads that you've worked with before mm. that you, know, you have this relationship with, and so we all get together and we all try to figure out the best way to do it. You know, with Russell, if it's something that you, it's like it's will be hero, it'll be photographical, it stays in the film. It's great. Sometimes you'll have something that you know you're going to replace, but he'll still build it for us. I mean, hes we always get these references. Russell's the best. You'll see it on every single movie. But when we, we photograph shots, we have either the prop that we use for like lighting reference, or he'll build smaller versions of the prop for us, you know, because it's something that maybe it's too big. But he always loves to go out there and like walk him around the set. So if you ever want to see like if you want to see Russell Bobbitt, look at her outtakes. You know, see him out there like spinning Steve's, you know, <laughs> shield around, and he'll have Stormbreaker, and kind of moving that around the set, so you can kind of see the prop.
0: That's cool. It's great. You know, we've been talking here for a little while, and I, you get gleeful when you talk about certain scenes, and, or Professor mm-hmm. Hulk, or different things. What's your favorite, type of, you know, scene to shoot and put together?
2: Like, it's interesting, it's like, you got movies like Endgame, you got movies like Infinity War. It's like our opening battle in Infinity War would have been other movies' final battle, <laughs> right? So it's just <laughs> like, but it's it's you. these films, sometimes in a film it's like, it's like one thing, okay, now you're gonna do fight, you're gonna do like a destroyed environment, or you're gonna do a character. You do, every version of every yeah. film of mm-hmm. in these films so you've whatever your favorite moment is you've got different versions of that so you know i've got a soft spot for character animation for sure and then you know characters and so we've got those with 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 thanos and and, and professor hulk for sure the, the battles and the fights and you know i think that you know you get a lot of with the characters and the fights because we can we work in previs you know you Basically, it's you're kind of bringing the comic book alive in a way, right? You're using their powers and so in a lot of ways we're, we're able to bring powers alive like, you know, we haven't been able to in the past. So you work on like Winter Soldier, you get Falcon and it's like, okay, what do we know about Falcon? And it's like we, you know, when we started with Falcon. We just started doing motion studies in previs and just tried to figure out what he could do and and so it's like, okay, let's see how he flies and then it's like, Well, let's grab the helicarriers and like have him have him attack the helicarriers. So a lot of that stuff is just you know, it grows from motion studies. So all of his all of his assault and the helicarrier came out of us just, just you know, playing. I mean you know, you you say you're at work, but you know, honestly we just <laughs> Sometimes we just play. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it a secret from the higher ups. But we just kind of, <laughs> what are we going to do today? I don't know. We're going to have a flight you' going to shoot at him, and a quince going to take him. It's like, what are we going to do today? So we're going to have all the heroes in the universe run against the other heroes in the universe. <laughs> toys, 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 yeah, toys, is,
0: toys, Is that a job?
2: Yeah, I'm sure. Uh-huh. <laughs>
0: You're getting paid for it. You're yeah, doing something right. Uh, yeah. Uh, you talked a little bit about the powers. I would love to talk a little bit about the, the comics, uh, inspirations, um, and, mm-hmm. and some of those moments, you know, um, there's like Scarlet Witch taking off this iconic scene mm-hmm. where she's she's head to head against Thanos mm-hmm. and she lifts up the rubble. It just mm-hmm. felt like such a I, I think you got that too yeah. the, like nerdy video game mm-hmm. joy, uh, mm-hmm. a comic book joy moment that surfaces. Yeah, for sure, and that's
2: where we'll, we'll you know we'll always go back, you know, because you know you've got years and years, decades of like. Of, of reference for who your characters are. You've got decades of ideas for who your characters are. So you'll always go back, you know, I got, you know, not a plug, but I got Marvel Unlimited on the iPad. So you can go back in and go, okay, I want to go find this issue. And you just kind of like start looking up, you know, and then like, you'll go online, you'll find, you know, images from, you'll find panels and you'll figure out what comic that is, you know, go th- through and look at it. And, you know, and it's kind of paying homage to the comics, you know, and that's why you kind of like the, you know, the splash panel, you know, like the splash pages, splash pages in the comics. And you know, we started doing that with Civil War. Uh, in a big way, yeah. and then uh, just kind of incorporating all that into the film, and incorporating that same kind of iconography, you know, in terms of what we saw from the comics as well.
0: Yeah, into it. Uh, I was looking at uh, Secret Wars, number four, like the classic, mm-hmm. you know, mid-80s issue, it had this almost impossible, you would, uh, uh, when you were younger, you're like, that's impossible, the Hulk's holding up mm-hmm. a giant mountain, he's saving mm-hmm. everybody, yep. but then you have that moment mm-hmm. in Endgame, mm-hmm. which was so cool. How much fun was that for you to see I mean, to it's it's that?
2: great. It's I mean, you because you, you know you will you'll you know you're again you're you're playing at work so <laughs> you're uh, you're going through and you're looking back at your old your favorite comics and just kind of you know taking those ideas you know in Civil War with Tony and Cap you know uh, the panel we stole from that and so it's like you know and, and it's something too. it will go when I start a film. It'll be you know with with the team again with the previous team. I'll you know go online. Kind of do a little search and find panels that I like and then let's make a folder. And it's like, okay, this is one of your shots. <laughs> this is one of your shots. This is yeah. one of your shots. And then eventually, you know, they don't shoot it that way sometimes. You're like, okay, we're going to go back and change that shot. We're going to change it back into the panel.
0: There's, of course, Captain America wielding Mjolnir, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, that, that has happened a couple times in the comics, whether it's Fear Itself. there's um, He was facing off again. He was, I think, as the captain uh, when he held the the hammer at one point in the comics. But... When did you find out that that was going to be a shot you guys get to put together?
2: Early on, it was like something that kind of when you'd heard that these films were happening, you kind of knew that it was kind of going to be a little bit of a bookend and kind of the first you know, few phases of the MCU. You, you knew it hadn't happened, right? You know, it's like it's a. You know, we're when he saw it in Ultron. You know, but he just kind of, you know, half picks it up, yeah. and you know, the debate is whether he's worthy, he's not worthy yet, or, you know, and you know, they keep letting people. I think the 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 Russos have confirmed it now, and Kevin's confirmed it that he always could. But, you know, it's it's moments that you 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 wanted that to happen, and it's like, you know, it's one of the first things we started prevising, right? Because you know, again, you're gonna previs your first your favorite scenes first, and you kind of go nuts, right? <laughs> so anytime you previs something, you know, they want they want something that's you know 2 minutes long, 3 minutes long, 5 minutes long, you do something that's 20 minutes long <laughs> and then you pull up you pull the best beats out of it and yeah. Yeah, but those are what go in the film.
0: Yeah. I also love that you're pulling from you have years and years of history, but there's some really more recent moments, you know, the Hell Hydra moment from mm-hmm. Captain America Steve Rogers that was mm-hmm. right before Secret Empire or even cap fighting cap which has happened multiple times in, in the comics but mm. recently that happened in Secret Empire mm-hmm. or seeing rescue like Amazing moment with her and Tony, but that's only from Invincible Iron Man, which is within the last ten years. Mm-hmm. It's really cool to see these references of the comics come in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, where do you and the and the teams, you know, other are specific areas you're looking at, or you just look at any bit of Marvel history?
2: Any bit. You go, you do a deep dive, you know, and then you just kind of you find the pieces that are going to play the best for you. And I mean, and I think that's you know, that's that's the point, right? You you. You look at these films and you look at you know for a multitude of reasons why these are successful yeah. you know you but you, they're successful because you love the characters and you love the comics because if you don't love it, then you're going to make something that you know which it's, it's not going to hit it's not going to resonate and and kind of bringing in just those moments for fans when they're going to recognize it it's you know again it's the best part it's the best
0: so I want to wrap up here by just expanding a little bit on the, the sort of the process of things for our This Week of Marvel fans. You know, you go from concept art to previous, to finished footage. You have the references, all this stuff. What, is, what does that process really like? look like from soup to nuts for you? And now you've got three years of this.
2: Well, I mean, it's something that, you know, you, 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 you love it, right? You're, you're doing it to the exclusion of all else in a way. You transition into this mode where you're're you're, you're nothing but the movie and it's it's a you know it's something that you come out the other side usually it'll be like a year and a half this one was three years so you're, you're deeper're you're, you're underwater <laughs> longer than you thought you were going to be but it's something that you know as an entire process it's you know it's this you've got an incredible group of people working on the films and and working on the different components and you know it's it's something that you go you know, along the way it's you know everybody is bringing one hundred and ten percent to the yeah. show you you, as you're going through you see the art department and there's this hallway that's you know 100 feet long of artwork of sets and like five versions of voromir and like 10 versions of titan and you know just kind of seeing this, everything evolve to what it becomes as, as the final piece and as everything comes together you're going to see how it starts playing as a whole and you know you, you see the movie and you know every time cap looks at peggy you know a tear comes in your eye right you know every time you see you know, the big effect shots coming in, you're kind of like, yeah, this is, you know, this is going to work, this is going to be amazing. And, and then, you, you know, finally get to see it at the premiere and with the audience, it's just, you know, kind of this amazing thing.
0: So, what a journey.
2: It is, it's really great.
0: Yeah, and part of the journey is the end. And that's the end of this episode of This Week in Marvel. Thank you so much for being here. Everybody watching and listening, make sure to pick up Marvel Studios' Avengers Endgame on digital now. Yay. Thank you, Dan. Uh, And thank you to the team at Marvel Studios for helping us put that together. All right. We do need to get to our question of the week. Lorraine, what you got?
1: Since we are talking about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. wrapping production for their season seven, why don't you guys share with us your favorite memory from Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Yeah,
0: and you heard from us some of our favorites uh, earlier in the show. So you can tweet your answers using This Week in Marvel, the hashtag. Email them to at twimpodcast.marvel.com or send a message to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Marvel. Uh, looking at our community section, huh, uh, breaking news here. It's uh, all about butts and people who <laughs> like butts. Butts, butts, butts. That is what is written in our show notes. <laughs> I wonder who could have put that in there.
1: I don't know. <laughs> But they're so smart.
0: <laughs> uh, first up is Katie Pankard at ThinkPank on Twitter. She says, my favorite costume, hands down, is Spider Gwen, a.k.a. Ghost Spider. Love the clean black and white paired with a pop of pink and blue. But the best part is her gravity-defying hood. How does she keep it on while swinging around?
1: It's connected to her mask. Sure. That's what I say. Maybe she has Velcro that Ooh. sticks under there, or at least that's what most cosplayers do. Yeah.
0: Also, it is now a symbiote. So she can make it do whatever she wants.
1: Yeah. Also, I love... Um, remind me the artist's name, Robbie... Rodriguez. Robbie Rodriguez. He said one of the reasons why he chose the white costume in the way that he did was because it was easy and it looked cool the I, end. It
0: looks really cool.
1: Karis Pollard said, but... Hashtag This Week in Marvel goes to Valkyrie. Seeing her new powers, her struggle to balance that with being Jane Foster is a great sign of things to come. And the powers come with a dark side. It's also utterly gorgeous. Should have known with this awesome creative team on it.
0: Yeah. Uh, So good, Cafu and Jesus Arbutov. It is a gorgeous-looking book. Uh, One more in here. We got it from RP67 saying, I really like the look of the new Avengers game coming out in 2020. The different look of the Avengers is interesting. They have more of a real-world look versus movie star, if that makes sense. Good job to the developers. Can't wait. Uh, Of course, you're talking about Marvel's Avengers coming um, from Marvel Games and Crystal Dynamics, and it's very exciting. I am super-duper excited. I've you know played a bunch of it over time uh we'll have of course much more to share about the game as we get closer to its release in may of 2020
1: yeah 2020 when we'll all finally see clearly
0: i gotta go uh, you do have to go
1: because this episode's over oh that's right i'm ryan i'm Lorraine. this is marvel your universe